This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, the defending two-time champs are in. The Toronto Rock and Colorado Mammoth go through a pretty tough weekend. We will touch on many of the highlight reel goals that were scored this past weekend. And one of my all-time favorite players and most hated competitors, Jeff Snyder, stops on by. All that more on OTCB. What is going on, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast. Some other things we'll touch on tonight. Uh, NLL records, according to Stephen Stamp. John Harnett signed to the Vancouver Stealth. And Mark Matthews put up nine points with... Double pink eye. Yes, that is right. The rush forward had double conjunctivitis of the eyeballs in Buffalo and could hardly see. We'll touch on that a little bit later, as well as many other things. uh, But as always, if you want to get a hold of me here at the show, you can. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, or you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. As mentioned, right off the hop, the Saskatchewan Rush are officially the first national lacrosse team to book their seat to the playoffs. And they did it with a very convincing 17-14 win over Buffalo. I wouldn't say very convincing. It was a convincing win over the Buffalo Bandits. And they were up the entire game. Buffalo made a little bit of a late push, but um, it was pretty much all for naught late in that game. But the real story is the fact that, yes, it is true that Mark Matthews had two goals, seven assists, and nine points while barely able to see out of either eyeball. He said in an interview with Tyson Geick before the game that he could hardly see out of the left one. And he had it when they played in Colorado the week before. He feels that he got it while they were in Calgary, or maybe, they, no, sorry, when they were playing Calgary on the flight to Colorado is when he got it. And so he had pink eye in one eye, and he wasn't able to get rid of it in time. And so this weekend, he had it in both eyes. And yet still put up nine points. Not too shabby. But with the win, oh, and side note, Matthews is leading the National Lacrosse League with 60 assists. And he's second in points to uh, sorry to Corey Small, who has 89. We've got some races going down the wire. We'll talk about scoring leaders and some of the other stat packs when we get to um, reviewing some, some of Steven Stamps' record-breaking chases. But for the rush to go into Buffalo and beat the Bandits on their home floor. It was a bit of a statement game for the Rush. It allows them to sort of re-solidify themselves as the team to beat in the National Lacrosse League. They played 13 games. They're 9-4. and four. Uh, Everyone will remember going back to the start of the year, they lost their first two games to Georgia and Toronto. And everyone's all like, uh-oh, what's up with the Rush? Well, remember, game one, they didn't have Aaron Bold in between the nets. Game two, the loss to the Toronto Rock a week later. 
Um, they end up losing only by a pair of goals. But since then, they've gone 11-2. and two. And their two losses have been in Colorado and in Saskatchewan. All in the month of March. They were undefeated in February. They went on a six-game win streak at one point. And they're still undefeated at home. Now, there have been some shaky times on home floor. But they are still undefeated at home and have sealed the number one seed, or sorry, sealed the first playoff spot in the NLL. They are currently sitting in the number one spot in the West. And a couple more wins and maybe a a mammoth loss, and they'll be able to seal up that number one seed. It's not far off. The Mammoths still have a chance to get there. The Mammoth would have to win out to have any hope. But the loss to Georgia this weekend for them was a bit of a crusher. But at the same time, it's a wake-up call. And at the same time, it's, okay, you know, good thing it's our bye week because we can have two weeks just to forget about what just happened down south and they can move on. And they can get ready for their final three games. Is they have Rochester at home, they go to Vancouver, and then they have Saskatchewan at home to end their season. So they need to win out. They need some help from some other teams if they want to catch Saskatchewan. But right now they're they're more focused on getting at least that number two seed. Which shouldn't be hard for them to get. However... It's going to be tough, but not really because Calgary and Vancouver have to play each other still one more. So one of those teams is going to get a loss, and unless Colorado loses all three of their games, they'll essentially be guaranteed a playoff spot. But it's that number two seed in the home floor game in the 2-3 divisional semifinal. But I don't think people should be too worried about Colorado. They still put up 13 goals against Georgia. It's just they had a really bad night, and they got absolutely torched by one of the hottest offenses in the entire National Lacrosse League. In fact, they are the number one scoring offense in the entire National Lacrosse League. Georgia put up 21 on the Mammoth. Mammoth hadn't done that, I think, since it was 2011 or 2012. It happened when they played Calgary. And the Roughnecks put 21 on them. And it was very unlike Colorado to play the way they did defensively. They just weren't on the same page. And Saskatchewan had really exploited them. It was almost similar to the game where Vancouver exploited Georgia in the first game that they met. And Vancouver seemingly had their way with the Mammoth defense. That's what it looked like on Saturday down south. Now, it doesn't help when the Thompson brothers are putting on an and one mixtape tour highlight reel and just throwing ridiculous junk backhanders, cross crease to guys cutting. 
diving goals, no-look goals, and then probably one of the nicest goals I think I've seen, Miles Thompson does this out of nowhere. Here's Miles Thompson, puts it back and scores! And that could have been called a hold before that before that goal scored, but he used the hold very effectively to set up the behind-the-back shot. Second time tonight, Miles Thompson has gone behind in the back of his head, and it works for his favor. You can see as he drives in here, Coates has definitely hold him there. He used it to set up. Oh, okay, I'll just go back this way. With one hand. Oh, my. We've had a, a disproportionate number of really spectacular goals in tonight's game. You'll have to forgive Chuck Zeno and Kurt Silcott as they were watching the game live and probably wouldn't have seen what we all saw on the monitors. It took them a good 15, 20 seconds to realize what Miles had done. With Dan Coates, the captain of the man, but draped all over his left arm, Miles just quarter turns and throws a one-handed backhander short size on Alex Bouquet that was so sublime that you couldn't even be mad at it. But that's kind of how the whole game went for the Mammoth. It was just like, oh, there's another one. Sure, there were stretches where they were bad. But at other times, there's just nothing you could do to stop some of those goals that went in. And you never expect a guy to throw a one-hand backhand like that. And it was just phenomenal. Goal of the week, easily, by me. And Jordan Durston scored two fantastic goals. So the Mammoth are almost assured a playoff spot. And for like the fifth time or fifth year in a row, third place will be decided between the Roughnecks and the Stealth. But both teams are starting to play better lacrosse. And that has to be worrisome for some teams. Because if they can start to get their acting gear and start to play some really good lacrosse, it's going to make this stretch run even better. Because by all by no means is the West settled other than the Rush are in. Because for my sake, in calling games, knock on wood, the Mammoth don't lose three straight. But the Roughnecks and Mammoth, sorry, the Roughnecks and Stealth are going to battle down to the wire again, and they still have to play each other in uh, two weeks' time. They'll play Saturday the 15th in Vancouver. And that is going to be one heck of a lacrosse game because it's pretty much the playoffs for both of those teams. Whoever wins that game will most likely be the team that advances in the West. And that's kind of how the schedule makers love to see it. But Calgary has won their past couple of games. They're starting to look better. Vancouver, you know, they're still a little Jekyll and Hyde because you can watch Ty Belanger play a really solid game like the game he did when the Stealth beat Colorado for the second time in Denver just a few weeks ago. He was really good that game. 
Granted, the Mammoth didn't shoot very well, but he still had to put up 50-plus saves and lead his team to victory. And then he has the game like he did uh, last week, sorry, two weeks ago, when Vancouver lost to Toronto. And then even the week before that, when Buffalo beat Vancouver, he looked pedestrian. And there's all these articles of Ty Belanger's waited his time as a backup. Now he's taken a step to be one of the top goaltenders. I don't know if he's there yet. I like Ty Belanger. He's a good young goaltender. But there are times when he's just not very good. And letting in goals from bad angles and way out past the restraining line or against the boards late in 30s, it's a concentration thing. And so I still think that's their weakness. Their defense has gotten better. And with the addition now of John Harnett, they get a little meaner. And just imagine that game between Calgary and Vancouver in two weeks with Harnett playing against his old team. Definitely probably maybe a couple fireworks to be let off in that one. But obviously Vancouver's offense can score goals. And the other move that the Stealth made last week was to put Garrett Billings on the holdout list. So they are pretty much saying they're done with Garrett Billings. However, I believe Garrett is going to the Surrey Fire Department, so that kind of makes that an easy decision. But they hadn't been playing him for the past month and a bit anyway. So they had moved on from Garrett Billings. But I still think their goaltending is their weak spot. Yes, Ty Belanger can steal you a game. And in a one-game playoff series to start the, the, the divisional fi- semifinals, yeah, that can be great. But we have yet to see him put consistent games back-to-back. And that's troublesome. And that's worrisome if you're a Vancouver Stealth fan. And that's why it's worrisome for the Calgary Roughnecks and all their fans is because they have been struggling to get Consistent goaltending. But in the two games they played Saskatchewan in Saskatchewan, Christian Del Bianco has almost stolen them the game. And then they've beaten Rod, they beat Rochester 11-9. They have to play Buffalo this weekend at home. They beat New England 18-13. They put up 18 on Georgia. So it's there. But again, it's the inconsistencies. And a lot of that starts between the pipes. However, with the release of Johnny Harnett, maybe they can kind of just move forward. The acquisition of Creighton Reed at the trade deadline. And maybe this was the the turning point for them. But we're going to have to wait and see because there's some really good lacrosse games coming up the pipe. And pretty much every single one of them is going to have playoff implications. Speaking of the Roughnecks, want to say congratulations to Curtis Dixon, who got his 300th National Lacrosse League goal the other night. Probably wasn't his flashiest goal, an outside shot that beat Matt Vince. But it's not easy to get to the 300 plateau. But Dixon has done it all in a Calgary Roughnecks jersey. And most of his goals are highlight real goals, including another one that he happened to score 
in Rochester. In the first, two to two, Dixon, swim move, another move, one-handed, he scores! Superman makes it three to two, Calgary. Wow, that was a highlight real goal, and you just said it, that was a Superman-type goal. He, he beat three guys to the net, he ducked, he dove, he juked, he jived, and a one-hander right in behind Matt Vince. What a goal. You'll have to excuse my friend Chris Driscoll, even though it was a highlight reel goal. You may not have been able to tell by the excitement in his voice. Just bugging you, Drisky. Um, but it's often tough for an away commentator to get excited about, or a home commentator to get excited about an away team goal. But it was indeed a highlight reel caliber and just another one to add to Curtis Dixon's tape and another one to add to the Versus catalog for NLL Productions and my guy Tyson Geik. He's going to, they had a tough week probably even picking the top five string king plays this week, let alone uh, which goal to put up in the Versus category. But I think it's got to be Miles's one-hand backhander. Dixon's was nice. Reza Terrett's had a nice one. However, this goal by Jordan Durston um, was the second highlight reel goal he scored. Uh, earlier in the game, he scored that magical split two defenders, run behind the net, dunk shot on Nick Rose that was just greasy. However, this backhander, which gave... The stealth, the lead, was probably the nicest of the two. New 30 to work with here for Vancouver. Maybe they want to try it again. Trying to take the lead here in the fourth quarter. Conway shoots right on. Rose the save. Here's Small. Missed it. Thurston fakes. Scores! Over the shoulder. Thurston, 11-10. A power play marker by Jordan Durston. On the power play with uh, just over nine minutes to go in that game was Vancouver's four straight spanning the third and fourth quarter. They'd end up going on to score seven straight goals and outscore Toronto 11-5 to in the second half to run away with it. And for a team that was playing the first of back-to-back-ish games, the Rock really hit the wall. After that first half, they were up 6-3. Nick Rose was looking just fine. Their offense was clicking. Um, they were running the ball. They were giving Vancouver fits. And then when the two teams came out for the second half, it was like Toronto just never really got out of the locker room. They traded goals early in the third quarter, and then Vancouver would score three straight only to have Toronto score four straight. And then that's when, starting off with a Curtis Hodgson unassisted goal with about five minutes left in the third, Vancouver would go on a seven-goal run that would really seal the deal. And then they would have to go across the country, wake up early. They were having, um, I think they had computer issues in Vancouver. So baggage wasn't getting done properly. Uh, they had to wait on the tarmac for a while. They had to fly all the way to Newark, New Jersey, then bust the three hours up to the casino and then play a 1 o'clock game 
where they've gone from Eastern time zone to Western time zone, back to the Eastern time zone, all in the span of 48 hours, and then play a game 20 hours after the previous one ended. It's not easy. And they almost, almost were able to claw themselves all the way back. Unfortunately, fell a little short. Even though Reed Reinholdt scored himself a pseudo-natural hat trick, if you throw in the empty netter from Sheldon Burns in there, which ended up being the game winner. But now for the Rock to lose those two games and now to fall back in the standings and now two games back of the Georgia Swarm. And Georgia has games in hand. Toronto's already played 15, so they have five left. Georgia, sorry, they have three left. Georgia has only played 13 games, so they have five left. So Georgia, even though they have yet to clinch, which is so crazy, pretty much in the driver's seat to take the number one seed in the NLL East. Which would be very interesting to see if they get a home game and then if they decide to bust people in to put fans inside that arena which is crazy they they just can't get people out and if they're going to be the number one seed in the east it's going to be a few lacrosse games played there in the playoffs I don't think they'll do anything about it they're not going to relocate during the playoffs I don't think that's something that the commissioner wants to do. And obviously, we all know that he doesn't want to move teams anymore. But there's got to become a time, and I continue to harp on this, there's got to be a point where they say, this isn't working. And we're about to finish year two there, and we haven't seen a dramatic increase. I know they're working down there, and I know they continue to try to put more people in the seats as best they can. Their social media game is on point. The videos that they put out, the music they choose. I know they have like a a videographer that follows the guys around and there's a guy on the bench with a camera shooting really good high-def stuff. That's why they get all these different looks and crazy little 15-second videos and things. And other than the fact that they're 9-4, and they just can't seem to do anything right. Oh, other than their replays. They have the best replay in the league. And I'm not sure how they're able to do it or why other teams haven't, or other rinks for that matter, haven't figured it out. They, like, can zoom in on every camera and rotate cameras around. It's incredible. But unfortunately, there's no one showing up to see the games. But that's pretty much a look back at last weekend, which was a very busy weekend over the April Fool's weekend. But now we are into the final stretch here. We are in week 15, three weeks to go, and we get a very quiet week in the National Lacrosse League, just three games. Friday, Georgia at New England. Um, With a win, Georgia will pretty much clinch themselves a playoff spot. Uh, New England won't do themselves any favors with a loss, even though they are in currently the number three seed and have a game and a half cushion 
on Buffalo. They need to keep winning to keep that space and keep that number three seed. Um, but a loss will allow either Buffalo or Rochester to gain some ground. Uh, Rochester has the weekend off. Buffalo is in Calgary Saturday night and Vancouver at Saskatchewan. And that is your Twitter game of the week. We were under the impression that John Fraser was going to be calling that game uh, for the Twitter broadcast, but it sounds like Dave Thomas, who is going to be his replacement in Saskatoon, will be doing the game. So I don't know if Johnny's going to be a part of it at all. I haven't found out that many details from him, but it doesn't look like he will be doing the Twitter game. And if that is the case, then the game that he did in Buffalo last weekend was indeed his last game calling for the rush. And if it is, fairly well, my friend. You're always welcome on the show, even if you don't want to talk lacrosse. We were talking earlier about um, the Calgary Roughnecks um, and how they've gone on a bit of a streak here. They had Tracy Klusky night last weekend, and it was an emotional night, and it was a very special night. And you always wonder when you look at teams who've been around for a long time, who's going to be the next guy? Which guy are they going to give that honor to next? And while he never brought his hometown team an NLL title. Jeff Snyder gave five incredible seasons to the Calgary Roughnecks organization and has done so much for the sport of lacrosse on the floor and off the floor. You have to wonder if maybe pound for pound, the toughest guy to ever play lacrosse will be honored with a spot in the Forever Roughneck Hall of Fame. When Snyder retired at the start of the 2016 season, he had spent his career between Philly and Calgary. He was a two-time NLL All-Star, led the league in PIMS for three seasons. The face-offs were just his own realm and loose balls. He did that six times. He led the pro league in face-offs and loose balls Six times. Now, sure, when a guy wins a draw, that's an automatic loose ball, so they kind of go hand in hand, but still, you got to win it and hold on to it. In 147 regular season and postseason games, he has just under 2,000 loose balls, just under 600 penalty minutes, 283 points, 75 caused turnovers, leads the league or leaves the league. All-time leader in regular season face-off wins, playoff wins. He went to five All-Star games, named MVP of the All-Star game twice, Rookie of the Year, a team, All-Rookie Team, and All-Second Team, and he has three league records. Quickest goal to start a game at five seconds, most loose balls in a game of 32, and most caused turnovers of nine. That's probably changed since, but that was when he left the National Lacrosse League. When he and I played against each other, I couldn't stand Jeff Snyder. I first met Jeff um, while watching him play for the Burnaby Juniors. And then we played against each other in the summertime with Victoria and Coquitlam. And I grew to despise him wholeheartedly. But I understood that in the realm of battle and in sport, 
that was why I despised him. And as it often is, as we grow through sport and we actually get to know guys, you learn that their on-floor persona is completely different than their off-floor persona. And Jeff Snyder is a shining example of that. And so anytime I get to talk life, sports, lacrosse, anything, I always take the chance to give him a call. Just so happens that Snyder and his Elevate Lacrosse Club have launched a new website. And when he reached out to me just to let me know, I said, hey, man, why don't you hop on the show and we can catch up and let everybody know how you are, what you're doing, what's new, and show you some love. And so earlier on Tuesday, after, as he said, got off the phone from a 40-minute interview with a 7-year-old, Jeff and I were able to sit down for a lighthearted, casual chat about his life, Elevate, and maybe what's next. Please enjoy. Um, how's things, man? Good. Things are going really well. Uh, you know, busy and, and uh, having a lot of fun working with kids and, and um, you know, just doing, uh, doing some fun stuff. we got some other stuff in the pipeline from an entrepreneurial perspective and, and um, you know, just in, enjoying, uh, enjoying the afterlife. Yeah, no doubt. Um, obviously, Elevate is a huge part of, of your day-to-day life. Um, how's, how's that going? Obviously, you guys, um, you know, the reason we're kind of talking is you've launched a new website, and obviously uh, your group has continued to put uh, a number of kids down south. How's everything going with your program? It's great, man. Uh, you know, we're having a lot of fun. Um, I think the big thing is that, um, you know, now that we've, uh, we've, we've added some programs, we're working, uh, we're working with Andrew McBride. We, you know, we uh, took over the classroom lacrosse program that he had done such a great job, you know, um, founding and fostering here in the community. Yeah. And, and so now from a, from a vertical integration perspective, um, you know, from the time you touch a stick to the time that you go to a, you know, you're, you're playing pro lacrosse. If you look at a guy like, you know, Dan Taylor, um, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're vertically aligned with respect to the interaction with our players and coaches and, and all that stuff. And it's, uh, yeah, I got to tell you, there's really nothing more rewarding than a kid picking up the phone and, and letting you know that, that uh, he or she is committed to a university. And, and um, you know, I, I think back all the time, like, you know, Terry Brown had a massive, massive amount to do with my commitment to the University of Denver. You know, Jamie yeah. Monroe rolled dice on me and and I can, you know, Terry, I owe, I owe Terry and the Brown family so much because Terry, you know, reached out on my behalf and, and communicated, uh, you know, that I would be a good fit in Denver. And, you know, despite me knowing that, um, you know, I, I went on and, and really enjoyed my time there. So, you know, I, I really, we really take a lot of pride in that. But at the same time, you know, there's lots of development going on and, and the sport is, is uh, you know, is continuing to grow across the country. And, and I think we take a lot of pride, um, you know, playing a small part in the growth here in Alberta. How cool is it to see a guy like Dan Taylor come to the program and and really start to make a name for himself? Because obviously that's going to start happening more and more now. We're going to start to see, you know, more kids from the Hill Academy, more kids from Elevate, more kids from the the you know the Claremont program here in Victoria. How cool is it to see, you know, kids that you've helped, you know, grow and, and and teach the game to and make them to be great young men? How cool is that for you? It's, it's awesome. Um, you know, we got two guys in Indianola right now that came to the program. One, uh, Dan Taylor, two, Holden Katoni. Yeah. And, 
you know, we're we're excited about it. it it's it's um, you know, not every not every kid's going to play pro lacrosse, but you know, being a part of kids going and and playing at a collegiate level and and earning their educations, yeah, uh, it's a big thing for us. I you know. My career went by in a blink of an eye, and, I, and I'm so thankful. You know, I think the you know the biggest defining moment in my career is is earning my educa- earning a fantastic education at the University of Denver. And, Absolutely. Um, you know, I think that for us is is it's not just seeing the kids, you know, succeed at the NCAA level or go to the pro ranks. It's the fact that like Dan Taylor is a really good person. Dan Taylor mm-hmm. is was a captain of his team at Lehigh. Dan Taylor was on the Tuart and watch list. You know, like Dan is a Dan is a consummate professional. He is a leader. Um, you know, he's a guy who is now continuing to, you know, to give back. He he's our classroom lacrosse program director. Awesome. Um, so, you know, he's back, you know, applying. He wanted to get into teaching, which is really cool too. So, you know, he's now back, um, you know, taking the classroom lacrosse program around Alberta and, and um, you know, really giving back in the community as well, which is really cool to see. And it's nice to know that we've provided them an opportunity outside of, of lacrosse to, you know, to earn a living and, and uh, you know, contribute back to the game. So uh, it, it's really cool. I think you're going to see a lot of guys. There's a kid at Seton Hill right now, Brett Craig, who's a monster. Um, you know, you'll see, you'll likely see him in the NLL. And, a, you know, there's a couple more kids. And a freshman, Harrison Matsuok at Stony Brook, has a compete level that I haven't seen before. So, you know, there's lots of kids that are that are going to be coming out. I, the list could go on and on and on. Yeah. And I, I think you're seeing that more around the country as well. Brody is doing an unbelievable job. Uh you know, Darren and and uh, and and Ryan are are doing a, or excuse me, Chris are are doing a great job, and and um, you know they're uh, it's just it, you, I think you're just going to see more and more success, and and these guys continue to push the envelope, and the correlation to field lacrosse and box lacrosse and being hybrid players is going to make them more successful in the National Lacrosse League. You talk about um, Terry Brown uh, helping you get to Denver. Ron Crusado was a big instrument in getting me to Mercier's. Um, to be that liaison for these kids um, and to be a, a voice for them, uh, how impactful is that for those kids to have you in their corner? Um, you know, it's, there's lots of guys out there that, that, you know, have the ability to, to be, you know, champions and advocates for kids. There's tons of relationships out there. I think the big thing that we take a lot of pride in is that we hold our kids very accountable, mm-hmm. as does the Hill, as does you know, these other uh, programs as well. And I think that's one thing that, that is really important is that, that the players that come out of our program are, are good citizens. We take a lot of pride in talking about that. And I know that these other programs do as well. And, and I think that's where sports are going is that you, know, you got to be a good person. you got to be a good leader. You have to be a good student. So I think for us it's, it's being able to, to, to articulate to, to pro coaches that, or sorry, to college coaches that know – how we played the game and and what we think about the game. I know it's no secret that I, I was <laughs> I was as controversial as they come. Yeah. Um, but I, but I would also like to think that with that controversial side of me came a real honest side as well. Um, Absolutely. You know, I, I'd like to think I wasn't a jerk off. I might have been a jerk on the floor, but I wasn't a jerk off the floor. <laughs> and uh, and I think that's one thing that that we speak really you know sort of passionately and honestly about our kids is we don't just talk about their strengths, but yeah. we also communicate their weaknesses as well. And uh, you know, everybody has their shortcomings, and, you know, I'm certainly a, a, a champion for, you know, how, how one person can have a lot of shortcomings. So <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, I think that being able to communicate those and articulate uh, a player's strengths and their weaknesses is ultimately very important in the recruiting process. And, and our brand, I think, has started to evolve through that, uh, you know, through word of mouth or just through our practices 
um, you know, in our in our relationships with coaches, they start to understand that we're, uh, you know, we tell it like it is. And, um, you know, we sell kids hard, but at the same time, we, we talk a lot about what they need as well so that coaches are prepared to, to manage players, um, you know, when they're down at school. It's a hard time. It's a challenging time. And, um, you know, a big part of it is that, is that growth comes out of friction and, and failure, not out of success. How many kids do you guys have now in Elevate? Uh, in the Elevate program or, like, yeah. the, the fall program? Yeah. Um, in between men and women, uh, there's 160 kids that participate in our in our travel program in the fall. Um, you know, last year was was awesome. I think the the girls program, you know, the men's program is is really really exciting. We're we're seeing a lot of kids flow through that program. But our big excitement is is women's lacrosse as well. Is there's okay. a massive amount of opportunity. Um, you know, to, to be a student athlete and, and play at a very high level. And, and we take a lot of pride in, uh, in the fact that we're, we're hoping to, to push the envelope a little bit with women's lacrosse as well. Um, so, you know, we coach 12 months out of the year, and we got programs kind of running all the time. And, and um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's, it's hard to think that it would, you know, it would get much bigger. I don't, you know, I don't think that we're looking to, to go anywhere else. We like what we're doing, and, and you know, we really care about the kids that we're working with here in the community. Uh, so what's the next big trip for you guys? Oh, well, we're working on our summer plans right now. We're hoping to, hoping to get out east uh, in July with our men's and women's program to, um, uh, to put together uh, an opportunity to go down and get in front of some more coaches and play in, front yeah. of, and play in, in some U.S. events. Um, at the same time, uh, the Calgary Field Lacrosse Program kicks up here, which we're a strategic partner of, um, and that program's grown significantly over the last four or five years. Uh, so you know, getting more kids playing field lacrosse is our priority uh, moving up into, into the summer months, and then you know, we've just got various camps and clinics that we're, that we're running over the, the course of the year, um, which is uh, a lot of fun as well. Let's go back to last summer. Um... Uh, how much does that loss against the U.S. sit with you? Because I know you were as fiery as a competitor as they come, and now you're, oh. you're the same way as a coach. Um, but does that that linger? Are you excited to get back uh, coaching Team Canada again? Yeah, you know, if uh, I feel so fortunate to be able to have that, um, you know, to have that relationship with the Canadian national team. They, you know, they've done that program's done so much for me, not only as a as an athlete, but as a person. And I think. Uh, you know, people don't necessarily realize how, you know, how challenging that, you know, that that month, um, you know, it is a month of, yeah. of training and preparation is. And it's hard on it's hard on the kids. It's hard on the coaches. Like after coaching, I'd much rather be a player. <laughs> it's, you know, the co- like you sleep less. You you all you do is eat and sleep and then you feel so fat and out of shape at the end of it and just so mentally exhausted. <laughs> That uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's really really hard, and and you know the, I think the hardest part about that loss was was just having you know that team that that American team was incredibly talented, was very very athletic, uh, very well coached, and um, you know we uh, they just kept chipping away and chipping yeah. away and chipping away, and uh, I'll tell you what, if you asked us at the start of that game that we were going to be up eight one at half. I would have laughed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and you know it was it was one of those experiences losing you know ten nine in Finland and then thirteen twelve uh, you know on a last second goal in in Coquitlam um, you know leaves a real sour taste in your mouth and we're so close um, but you know at the same time you know I think the the Canadian program continues to grow I think if you look at you know the thirty year drought of the men's national team. And the continual losses, the continual losses, the continual losses. Uh, ultimately, that's going to groom, um, you know, high-level competitive players that are going to win. 
uh, just through experiencing that failure. And I think you look at every kid on that team. Uh, you know, there's no secret that, you know, Brian Cole and Wesley Berg and Chad Tutton and Riley O'Connor and, you know, Joel Tinney, like the list goes on and on and on. These guys are high-level players that are contributing all over, you know, all over North America right now. And uh, it's it's definitely correlated to their high-level compete levels and their experiences with uh, the Canadian national team. You've mentioned holding Gatoni a couple times. Um, he was your ball boy when you were in Calgary, and, and that's just a cool story in itself. But the growth of lacrosse in Calgary continues to grow, and the presence of the Roughnecks has been instrumental. Um, how important is it for you to keep that relationship with the Roughnecks and Alberta lacrosse? It's huge. Um, you know, the, the governing bodies are, are doing an excellent job. Um, you know, they're promoting the game, and, and uh, you know, I think what's cool is that, you know, we're, you know, by driving the growth of the registration, we're, we're you know, keeping apart financially, keeping those associations, you know, going, and, and it's a big uh, – uh, it's a it's a big compliment to what they're doing here is is you know they're managing the growth uh, accordingly with you know lots of different private programs popping up in in Alberta and then at the same time um, you know the correlation with the Roughnecks and having a high level you know competitor high level and and you know competitive professional team here in the city um, the Roughnecks have been great they've partnered with us in the classroom across program so um, you know they're they're uh, supporting that program uh, very heavily. Um, you know, next, not this week, but the following week, we're doing a, a coaching session for teachers at the Saddle Dome, which is really cool. Awesome. Um, so the Roughnecks have been very, very involved. They've been incredibly supportive, um, you know, and certainly, you know, I, had a, I definitely had a, a, you know, a bitter taste in my mouth, um, you know, coming to the end of my career, as, as all professional athletes do. And, yeah. and they've been wonderful in the, in the transition and being supportive of, you know, sort of the afterlife and, and, uh, and elevate lacrosse. It's been, it's been really cool to see and they've been wonderful to work with. So, uh, both the ALA and, and the Roughnecks are instrumental. Um, you know, if not the biggest thing with respect to growing the sport here in Calgary and, and, uh, you know, we're very fortunate to have both groups here in the province. Do you keep an eye on the Roughnecks? Do you still go to games? Yeah, you bet. I, you know, I, I go to more when my brother's in the lineup and, and yeah. healthy, but, um, you know, it's, I got a lot of friends on that team. There's, uh, there's a lot of great guys and a lot of big personalities and, and, you know, you want to see them, uh, you know, you want to see them succeed. And, and I think, you know, when they're, when they're doing well and the sport's doing well here in the city, everybody, everybody wins. So, um, you know, it's, uh, they've been up and down this year, but it, it would be great to, uh, you know, to see them have a, a positive stretch here moving into the playoffs. Were you at, uh, TK night the other night? You bet. I wouldn't have missed how, it. How, how, how incredible was that? And, and just speak on on what Tracy meant to you as, as a leader, as a friend, as a teammate. You know, Tracy was a you know he's a he's a uh, you know a no fluff kind of guy. He tells you like he tells it like it is. And I think mm. uh, you know I I personally take a lot of pride, and I've heard uh, you know people have always told me like it is. So yeah. uh, you know, one thing I really admire about Tracy is that um, you know he's a consummate leader. Uh, guys really look up to him. The way he conducts himself, um, you know, I, I'm certainly envious of of the way that that he manages his persona and and the type of person that he is because uh, he he's very magnetic uh, with respect to young athletes and and people. Um, I know his evolve program is doing very very well in Ontario, uh, and and as it should because Tracy's the type of leader that that is very easy to follow. Um, you know, I remember playing in Coquitlam, and you know, he and uh, he and Kurt, you know, sat me in a car for an hour while my girlfriend was in the other car and, and laid into me about how I how I should be uh, performing a little differently and acting yeah. a little differently. And, 
And, you know, as a young man, uh, you know, hearing those things at the right time helped push you in a different direction. And, and I certainly looked up for Tracy to have the, uh, uh, to have the, you know, just the, the, the fortitude and, and the understanding that I maybe needed to hear something that I didn't want to hear. And, and, you know, any time that someone takes the time to tell you something, it's usually because they want to see you succeed, not because they want to see you fail. So, yeah. um, you know, watching Tracy's number go into the rafters was really, really cool. I, uh, I listened to him speak and, and, um, you know, I was, uh, I was incredibly happy for him. I know that, you know, Tracy will always deflect and say that, you know, this isn't me and this isn't me, but it, it was one of those things where he, you know, the credit was due and, uh, and he certainly deserved it because he's, he's had an illustrious career and, and he is a, uh, you know, he's an incredible human being. Andrew McBride has made this seamless transition from captain to in-between bench specialist. Um, a specialist, I guess that might be a, a strong word for his skills. Um, but uh, have you ever wanted to get in the booth? Have you ever wanted to do some, some announcing or broadcasting and, and give back to the game that way? Um, yeah, I've done, I did a little bit of that with college, with ESPN, when I was um, you know early on in my career. I, I got to tell you, you guys – you guys got your work cut out for you. It is, people think that people think that it is easy. It is like it's it's incredibly difficult. Like I'd rather I'd rather get punched in the head by Andrew Suter again than probably get out there and go and do that. So, like it, it's hard. People don't understand how hard it is. And, and Andrew has done a great job. Um, you know he's uh, he's open to feedback. He asks me. You know he gives me a call and kind of says how did I do and we chat about it and. Um, you know, he's become a, a really, a really good friend. Um, and, uh, you know, even more so after playing, I think yeah. we, uh, you know, we found a lot of solace in, uh, in snuggling up and, and talking about, uh, you know, how he should still be playing for sure. Yeah. So I think we yeah. bonded a little bit more collectively, but, um, you know, he's doing a great job. And, and with respect to getting out there and doing that, I, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I'm sure I'd, uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't say no to a lot of stuff when those opportunities come up, yeah. but I'll tell you what, I, I, I don't know if I'd be able to do what you guys do, man. So it'd be a lot of ums and stumbling and, and you know, probably swearing. There'd be some bleeping, and, <laughs> and I don't know if I'm the right guy for the job. But, uh, um, you know, it's been a pleasure watching Andrew transition and, and do a great job of it. I think he's, um, you know, he's going to find a, a real, uh, you know, a real sweet spot for himself, um, you know, as the league grows. Absolutely. He's doing a fantastic job, and, and as long as he keeps the hats off his head but he's on TV, he'll be good. Um <laughs> Uh, you spoke of Andrew Suter. I wanted to, you know, the NLL is kind of moving away from fighting and it's something that people want to get out of sports, but do you have a fight that you look back and, and sort of like a memorable fight? One you look back and like, man, that oh. was one of my favorite. Well, I wish I remembered more of the Suter fights. I don't, <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't know. I think I think I look at it like from a guy who made his name on you know putting his mitts on the ground and and yeah. doing things the way that we did it. I you know I certainly had a lot of respect for you know the the ability to you know to do what I did and the ability for other guys to do what they did and and that you know that's kind of changing. You know you see it in the NHL and the NLL and and I just you know I had a, a girlfriend of mine um, you know a while back whose father ended up passing away from CTE, yeah. um, which was really really scary and. Uh, you know, that's when my fighting, like I was, I was still in the NLL when that happened. And that's when my fighting just kind of stopped. Um, yeah. I just saw it and I, I respected the fact that, Hey, this is a real thing. Um, I, do I think, you know, I go to junior games and I see kids drop the gloves and it, it makes me, it makes me uneasy. I, I don't yeah. like it. Um, and I used to love it. And, uh, you know, I think now that we're coaching kids and we see who these kids are and we've got to get to know them more, 
um, you know, you see them and you don't want anybody ever getting hurt. And, and you know, so I think we kind of cringe at it a little bit. Um, you know, in terms of memorable fights, probably, you know, the, the Kinnear fight in Coquitlam was probably a, a, a yeah. and, and not for those, not for the reason that you think it would. I just remember we were winning and, and I fought and then we lost. And, yeah. uh, that was the first time that I really realized that like, Hey, um, you might want to be a little bit more selective with your yeah. time. Um, you know, even though we won the fight and I won the fight and the boys were fired up. Um, it almost put us over the edge from kind of a level-headed sort of mentality. And then Victoria creeped back and ended up winning that game. And we were up, uh, I want to say we were up 11-9, and I think we lost like 13-12. Yeah. So it, it was one of those things that I, I really, you know, it kind of changed my perspective on, on that. And then I think one more would be Rich Catton. Uh, you oh. know, I talked to – or no, excuse me, not Rich uh, – <laughs> Williams, Rob Williams, excuse me. So Rob, uh, uh, he and I scrapped when he was in Maple Ridge, and I've never been in a fight like that before. Uh, I was, I couldn't walk down the stairs. We were so tired. I saw him the other night, and we kind of reminisced about it. And like he's like, I went to the wrong penalty box. I didn't know where I was, where I was. And I was like, man, I fell down the stairs at Coquitlam. I couldn't walk. Like it was like a, it was like a three and a half minute marathon that uh, that just wouldn't end. And uh, so yeah, that's definitely a memorable one as well. Uh, who was the best trash talker? Because you were pretty good at it. And I remember you and Molesky going at it when, when the Stealth were in Vancouver a bunch. But um, who was the guy that, that you loved to trash talk with? Um, oh, man. That's, there was just – no one was safe. Teddy, I, I – No, nobody I, was safe. I, I wasn't even playing, <laughs> and I wasn't safe. <laughs> you know, I, man, when I, when I got into it, I, I'm just trying to think. I think uh, – you know, when you could get a coach going, I think Troy Cordingly would have been a good one because Troy yeah. would get going with you. And, uh, you know, I, I loved it. If a coach was paying attention to me, he wasn't paying attention to his yeah, team. But I, I think I think the thing about that was Troy, you know, that got Troy going even more. <laughs> Troy's, a, you know, Troy's as fierce as they come from a competitive perspective. So, yeah. um, you know, Troy or, uh, oh, man, who else was out there? I don't know. I was pretty mean, man. I, I yeah, like, you, like you were back, ruthless. Like, oh, yeah, it was bad. If I could go back, I uh, – I probably would have done some things a little differently, but you know, it uh, it was part of my game. It was indeed, and your game put butts in the seats, and people loved watching you every time uh, you're out there. It's always a pleasure catching up with you, my friend. Uh, continued success with Elevate and all the things you're doing with Team Canada, and I'm sure we'll see you down the road soon. It's awesome, Teddy. I appreciate it, man. One of the nicest people I've ever had the pleasure to get to meet. And like I said, when we played, I did not like him at all. And he was part of the rivalry of Victoria and Coquitlam. Uh, he had Burnaby Lakers blood running through him. So I didn't like him because of that reason in my relationship with the juniors. Just because of the battles that I had. Uh, we went, you know, team against team throughout, you know, the start of his career. Whether it be in the NLL or the WLA. And nobody was safe from his chirps. Nobody was safe from his glare. Nobody was safe from a chop. But once, and, and the, the turning point when he saw his, unfortunately, you know, his girlfriend's father passed away from CTE, and, and that changed him, he really did become a different person. And he lost that, you know, rugged exterior, tough guy aura. 
and he started realizing what was important. Uh, he started fighting a lot less. You, you notice it in his gameplay. Um, people were wondering if maybe it was was actually his head or if he was hurt. Well, he was just being smarter now. And he realized that he was more important on the floor than in the penalty box. And, you know, a guy doesn't get named a two-time NLL All-Star MVP for, you know, fighting. Snyder would want to win every game. And the year that he won MVP, I think it was in 2012, when the All-Star game was in Edmonton. And he played that game, and his knees were so bloodied, you would have think it was the championship game and not an All-Star game. But that's just the way Snides did it, and that's just the way he went about his business, and that's the way, you know, he kind of runs Elevate. He wants people to be the best of the best, but he wants them to be smart about it. And he wants to give them all the avenues that helped him get to where he is and give those to the kids in Alberta. Be a mentor. Be a champion. Be a leader. And be a resource of information and knowledge and firsthand experience of what it takes to be a young athlete coming out of Calgary or anywhere in Alberta, for that matter, because most of those kids are Alberta kids. And to understand what it takes to put your school and athletics first, to put training first, to reach out to these colleges and get a good, proper education, and lacrosse becomes the added bonus. And the work they do with the school program in Calgary is second to none, and they just continue to pump out product, uh, especially from Elevate. You know, Alberta players are starting to come through the pipeline. Now we're seeing, you know, kids who have Elevate and um, Alberta blood through their pipeline and through their bloodline. You know, Blaine Manning, Darren Hillier, um, Jamie Shuchuk, Obviously, the Snyder brothers, John Kilbride is an Alberta guy. Ben Pep, Bren, Pe, Ben Prepchuk is an Alberta guy. John Lintz, I believe, is an Alberta guy. You know, so there are guys coming through the pipeline, Jimmy Quinlan, that are Alberta guys that have put their time in. And now we're seeing more. Holden Katoni, Dan Taylor. Uh, Jeff talked about the couple other young guys that are starting to come through and we're going to see in the NLL in years to come. And with the win in the Minto Cup, uh, the growth of the game in Alberta and the fact that they're doing it right and the work that Andrew McBride does with the ALA uh, has been phenomenal in helping turn that program um, to an upswing and put the kids first and, and doing things right. And I think a lot of provinces that are starting grassroots programs and starting to work their way up the, the channel should really look what Alberta has done to help get that group and their province on a higher stage and getting more recognition for their athletes. And Jeff Snyder has done a phenomenal job with that. Um, he's got some other things coming down uh, the line. Uh, we're going to get him back on the show when that launches. Uh, we didn't want to quite bust his bubble um, with too much of an ego stroke on this episode of the show. So we'll have him back in a few weeks' time, months' time, who knows, get him back on the show. But 
I think he would be a fantastic analyst. You know, maybe not calling games, but dissecting games. You know, put him in a studio, have him like a Glenn Healy, um, PJ Stock kind of role. Uh, just a guy that understands it, a Patrick O'Sullivan kind of thing. You know, just let him watch games and just let him talk. He doesn't need to know stats or facts or anything like that. Just he's so knowledgeable. He could break down anything and bring color to it. I think he'd be a good fit. As long as he doesn't wear Andrew McBride's hats, he's okay. Talked about this uh, a little bit earlier. Steven Stamp does his NLL records pursuit over on IL Indoor. I call it IL Indoor. That's just what it is to me. Inside lacrosse. Uh, uh, just a couple I want to focus on, the ones that are kind of really close um, to be being beaten. Um, probably the highest profile one um, is regular season coaching wins. And I think I mentioned this one earlier in the year. Um, but Derek Keenan is two wins away from breaking Darius Kilgore's record of 121. Um, it's pretty much assured that he's going to get that. I think it's safe to say that Keenan can guide the rush to two more wins. They got Vancouver this weekend, and then New England and Toronto after that, and all three are at home. So one would imagine... Uh, Billy D has become the career penalty minutes leader at 635 minutes and counting, surpassing Kyle Laverty. Uh, Anthony Cosmo's not going to break, or Evan Kirk's not going to break Anthony Cosmo's saves record. Um, here's one. And this, we're getting to that time of year where we need to start thinking about who we're going to pick for awards, especially us media folk. But obviously, fans love to weigh in and, and you're always more than welcome to weigh in on who you think should be winning some of the league year-end awards because there's going to be some ones that are up for debate. And while Kyle Jackson is having a heck of a year for the Rochester Nighthawks, even after a bit of a slow start, Tom Schreiber um, is my rookie of the year, and he is very close to surpassing Randy Statz's record for points in the year, which he set last year. Um, Schreiber is 15 points away from tying it. And he has three games to do it. in. So he has to average 5.1 points per game, essentially. No, 5.34 points per game to break that record. He should be able to break that record. I'm not going to put a guarantee on it, but he should break that record. He has to play Buffalo twice and the rush once. Uh, but he's also on pace to break Randy's rookie assists in the year mark, which Randy had 59 last year, and Shribes has 52, so he's seven away from tying that, and that's pretty likely to be done. And then rookie caused turnovers. And I don't think anybody would have guessed that Latrell Harris would be at the top of too many rookie charts. Uh, you just never really knew how many games as an 18-year-old he was going to get into. But he has been probably one of the most steady players all year long for the Toronto Rock. And it's just been absolutely phenomenal to see this young man's potential 
and what he can do when given the ability to be on the floor. And he's played in every single game. He has nine points, 91 loose balls, 24 caused turnovers. He needs four more in his final three games to take over from Robert Hope's 2015 record of 28. That's ridiculous. That is an incredible year for a rookie. And even more so for an 18-year-old who's still in high school. Coached by Matt Vince. Taught by Matt Vince. I got really excited there. Uh, Coach. um, Taught by Matt Vince. And he just looks more and more comfortable out there every time I watch him play. Sure, he still makes some young mistakes, but he has been as reliable a defender as anybody in that Rock uniform. And it's just been fantastic to see. So you can go to InsideLacrosse.com, find the NLL page, and you can see Stamper's work. Um, Always great stuff. And there's news on the Vancouver Stealth signing defenseman free agent, um, John Harnett. Again, they put Garrett Billings on the holdout list. So there are some things, some things going down. Um, Teams have two more weeks to sign any more street free agents if they want. Final rosters had to be in last week, but um, street free agents get a couple more weeks just in case injuries happen. Fingers crossed nothing comes of that and teams are healthy going into the playoffs. Like I said, we have just three more weeks to go and we have three games this weekend. Georgia at New England, Buffalo at Calgary, Vancouver at Saskatchewan. Vancouver at Saskatchewan is your NLL Twitter game of the week. Every game can be seen live on NLLTV.com. That's kind of about it. Nothing else is really coming to my head right now. So I guess we're going to get out of here. Um, Thank you to Jeff Snyder for giving me some time. Always great to catch up with number four uh, if you want you can get a hold of me at off the crossbar on twitter or you can email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com that will do it for us here on the off the crossbar podcast for another week check us out on nll radio and soundcloud if you're going to a game take a friend if you take a friend take two because the more friends you have the more beers they buy until next time be excellent to each other the highway is my life.